We are going to kick off proceedings right now with Jeffrey Grosset from the Clare Valley. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Good morning, Jill. Wonderful. Good to good to be with you. It's uh, we were having a bit of a chat earlier, and you say you know the weather down there is just gorgeous, and it seems like 2022 is going to be a great year for you. And look, it's wonderful to hear that coming from someone because not many you know people from New South Wales or Queensland um, can say the same thing. But um, it's it seems like 2022 is proving itself to be a, a good vintage for you guys. Yes, exactly. Well, we're we're quite I think excited and relieved that. Um, this vintage, um, and as you know, I've seen quite a few, but especially for Riesling, I think this is one of the most exciting vintages I've ever seen. Um, we're picking Riesling right now, uh, and it's, uh, you know, sun another sunny day. I think it's going to be about 29. I don't want to rub this in too much, you know, to, to, to <laughs> but um, we've just had cold nights. I mean, I've got a jumper on. It's, it's a cold night, sunny days. Um, absolutely beautiful. And I can't remember the last time that we had such a run of, of, of gorgeous weather. So this would have to be, I think, one of the standouts um, if this just holds for another week or so um, that I've seen for a long, long time. Wow, so you've got those perfect conditions. And look, we want you to speak about that because it's fantastic that uh, that we are going to see and that, you know, that some vintages uh, from the 2022 are going to be so great. So so what is it? Can you just give us a quick overview of what sort of, um, obviously you want the cool nights and the warm days, but in order for Riesling to be at its best, what are you really after? Yeah, I think, I think the other thing which sort of more back to basics is that um, we need to have enough rain um, uh, through the through the winter and preferably some rain early in the season uh, to get things through. And we've just come through uh, three vintages effectively of drought. So our production, um, it's nice to have low production. It, it gets equated to quality, but when you go below where we would should be, um, it's, there's no benefit at all. So we we've been running at about half to sixty percent of uh, a reasonable year, um, and so after three years of drought, that's really purely uh, rain. It's just water, and then if we can follow that with um, uh, good warm weather, sunny conditions, without it being too hot, which of course can stress the vines, mm. um, then you end up with uh, what we've got now, which is just a gorgeous, great flavoured fruit and ripe, lovely pro profile, still really f fresh and crisp. Yeah, beautiful. So, I mean, look, your Rieslings are extremely famous and uh, that's why my, my first thought went to you when I found out that today was International Riesling Day. I thought, I've got to get the Grosset wines on. Um, I, I think I'd mentioned to you before a few months ago, I was interviewing the other uh, sommelier from Cafe Sydney, a very famous, um, iconic uh, restaurant in Sydney. And he he mentioned that he goes through about 5,000 wines to, um, you know, to narrow them down to about 100. So, you know, what a tough job. But I asked him if there were any particular staples that he ensures are always on a wine list that he's working with. And he said there are two. There was the Shoren Smith Sav Blanc and there was the Grosset Polish Hill Riesling. And I thought, well, that's that's quite a testament. So, um, and this man really but, knows his stuff. So, you, you do a few different uh, uh, Rieslings. You've got, um, you've got a few different vineyards. You've got the four different vineyards. Um, yeah. all around the Clare Valley. But the Polish Hill, I guess, is, you know, would, would you say that's your flagship? Uh, yes, I guess it's become, it would know, it has become, it's the best known Polish mm -hmm. Hill. I think, uh, I, I believe, because this will be the 42nd release of Polish Hill later this year, 
I think that the reason that Polish Hill became noticed so quickly back then um, is that it was so different. And, um, and I think at the time, um, you know, some who are old enough might appreciate that, you know, um, four decades ago, uh, the, the terroir story wasn't really talked about. Like, it, it, however you want to describe the importance of place, which is absolutely critical for Riesling where it's planted. Um, and because this is on a uh, what, what I would call a hard rock site, you know, shale and slate, and very challenging to even just keep the vines from not stressing. You have to keep a crop down and manage it very carefully. Um, it, it produced a, a, a flavour that I think was very long and lingering on the palate. And I think because it was quite unusual, um, it attracted uh, attention. And I think, and now it, it is the best known of ours. So we have uh, Polish Hill, uh, the Grosset Springvale, Alia, which is uh, European influence style, and um, G110, which is a tiny production from one clone. Yes, right. And so so the, the Rockwood Vineyard where you have the Alia, that's uh, yes. named after the Greek goddess of, uh, of agriculture, isn't it? Yeah, so Leah's, yes, exactly. Well, we, we found it was um, a very challenging vineyard to plant. And uh, looking back, I'm not really into, heavily into Greek mythology, but it does uh, it does rate with the uh, other wines that we have of Gaia and Nereus. And we've had a little bit of fun with, uh, with, with mythology in terms of uh, naming. They do mean something broadly to us, how challenging it was to get up there, to, to get into production and get to be known and, um, and just what we went through. So that's sort of where the names tend to come from. Right. Okay. And and of course, those um, that guy is actually more of the European style of Riesling as opposed to the other Rieslings that you produce. The Alia, yes. The Alia is. Yes, that's also right. Yeah. And you're also, uh, but on that particular uh, Rockwood, you're you're not just doing Riesling. You've got uh, you've got some Fiano, Shiraz, yes, yeah. But all yes. of the other sites are, are predominantly just Riesling. Yeah. Um, so yes, Bimbal's just Riesling, and uh, Polish Hill uh, is all but a tiny bit is uh, Riesling. I guess, and I should say at this point that you know I love might sound like uh, my whole life's dedicated to Riesling, but um, I actually love um, all. <laughs> I love trying uh, such a range of wines and the other great varieties, uh, the other great great varieties. I guess I'm pretty much equally um, fond of and um, will drink, um, love to drink and taste. You know, Cabernet based wines, of course, Chardonnays, etc., uh, Pinot, of course. Um, but the thing about Riesling, I think. It, what attracted me from when I was quite young, from the time I first tasted wine, was that it seemed to be, um, and certainly since, it seemed to be a bit neglected, not really appreciated that, uh, I mean, Riesling can be absolutely sublime. It can be gorgeous, beautiful wine. Um, but also, too, it can be pretty ordinary, just like um, just like a range of Chardonnays, you yeah, know, in the sure. wrong hands and from the wrong spot. So I think that understanding that there's such a range um, of Rieslings and it's so expressive of the variety, I think that's what, I'm uh, oh, sorry, of the, of the site, um, uh, I think that that's what attracted me and I felt that other people weren't looking at that quite with the intensity that it deserved and uh, sure. I went straight for it, yeah. So uh, one of the many things that you've uh, that you've done for the Clare Valley and for Rieslings, but you really did fight to have Rieslings acknowledged, didn't you? 
Yeah, that was a bit of a battle. Um, fortunately, you know, over 20 years ago, but um, Australia, I think, was setting up for the best labour integrity laws in the world. Uh, they were very good, very clear, and for some reason, um, we know the reason, but for some reason, Riesling was uh, uh, exempted from those laws originally. Um, and uh, some people were using uh, Riesling not to represent the variety. So we, Riesling producers in Australia said, well, that's silly. I mean, we know if there's something odd happening in the past, we need to, I mean, that's just part of a development. Australia was a new wine country and it was doing all kinds of things, calling <clears throat> calling red wine Burgundy and, um, and yes. using names to try and to try and give an indication to people what what was in the um, what was in the bottle or in that in some cases in a wine cask. So we we just had to fight to get uh, the truth um, represented uh, correctly. Um, and uh, there was a lovely line from those who might know Tony Brady from Winderee, who somewhat curiously, I guess, uh, doesn't make Riesling, but he was in the uh, involved with this with his knowledge of English. He said that Australia was attempting to enshrine into law an untruth. I always thought that that was very strong and perhaps coming from his legal training. Uh, and I think that got over the message that, you know, um, if we want to be acknowledged internationally, we have to we have to be truthful, and it starts with the law. Yeah, yeah so no, that was years ago, and we got it done. <laughs> <laughs> you um, uh, you just mentioned uh, before uh, the first time that you actually tried a uh, tried wine, and uh, I, I believe you were fifteen at the time, and you, you obviously haven't looked back. Can you uh, can you tell us our, your story of how you got into it, your first vintage at sixteen, and, and just give us the Jeffrey Grosset story. Oh, sure, I'd love to. <laughs> I'll try and keep it brief. But I, I still yep. remember, so my father, um, my par I think my parents were sort of not atypical in terms of um, Australians, um, you know, back then, uh, where they, they hadn't drunk wine. So I remember my father bringing home a bottle of wine. He got interested through a friend who wanted him to join a wine club, brought a bottle of wine home and shared it with the family. And I remember tasting it. I think it was probably pretty good because it made an impact. I just thought, wow, this is this is really something special. And um, I, you know, I remember the taste, and I thought, that's what I want to do. Which is a bit unusual, probably for most fifteen-year-olds, especially me. I wasn't especially, you know, um, overly mature or anything. Uh, so I enrolled to go to Roseworthy College on my sixteenth birthday. Got accepted straight away studied there for five years, um, went and worked for a couple of larger companies in Australia, um, uh, in Victoria, um, and then worked overseas, uh, chose Germany rather than France, where most people were going, probably their reasoning thing, and then came back to uh, the Clare Valley and decided that there was a, 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 a disused, uh, no further used um, uh, milk depot and um, and butter and ice factory here in Auburn that was just sitting here um, and it was about my budget, meaning it was cheap. Uh, it was a building and then I went to a lender of last resort and grabbed some money and, uh, and just started. So um, I started with uh, buying fruit from local growers who were very supportive. Um, I found a few who sort of wanted to be part of this. And it was, wasn't until, um, well, more than uh, 86 and then 96 before I actually planted my first uh, Riesling vineyard in 1996. So it took a long time to work out where I thought it should be. It seemed quite intricate and absolutely critical 
that the uh, that the soil and rock profile was um, was uh, consistent and what I wanted it to be. It took quite a while. Anyway, so then I started planting my own Riesling vineyards in '96, and then uh, Springvale in 2000. Uh, and the rockwood, as you mentioned, has been Riesling and other things um, since. And I've, I've still I'm still planting, but um, slowly. So you have taken away so many very high-profile awards um, with with your wines, and especially the, uh, the the Polish Hill Riesling. Um, I actually am going to name just a few of them because it's, and I can only name a few because we purely do not have the time to go through the whole list. But you've been the best value winery in Australia 2018 by James Halliday. You've been Wine and Spirits top 100 wineries uh, in the US. You have been Gourmet Traveller's Winemaker of the Year, uh, Decanter UK's top 10 white winemakers. Top 10. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. So, so what is it about you? What is it? So you, of course, it's the terrain, and and of course, it comes down to you know climate conditions, etc. But what is it about the reasoning that you make that make heads, you know head sommeliers of the best restaurants uh, around Australia ensure that you are always on their wine list? Yeah, I think I think it's attention to detail um, helps a lot. I think it's critical. Um, I think starting with the a lot of people say, well, you know, you start with good fruit, but um, it means, for me, it means work out where the best site is. And in my case, I couldn't find a vineyard already planted. I know they exist, but so plant the vineyard, uh, follow what I, uh, uh, somebody said to me one day that terroir tends, or it, t- it tends not to go legal boundaries. So, you know, you don't necessarily plant a, a rectangle. Um, um, you might, it might have to be an odd shape, and that's what I did, to follow what is underneath uh, pay lots of attention to that, uh, get the vineyard right. And as I mentioned earlier, I think, too, that we we found that since we moved to organic certification and, and biodynamics, um, we're just getting brighter uh, uh, fruit and brighter wine out of it as well. So go to the trouble of really pushing it. Um, once you've got the best site and managing it the best way you can, go even further, I think, go to organics, go to biodynamics um, and all of that for the sake of getting the best wine, not to save the world. I mean, that's a nice sort of byproduct you might be contributing, but it's all about uh, getting the best possible wine. So I think they're the reasons uh, more than um, some magic that, you know, I might have in winemaking because that's just hopefully complementary. It's not the critical part. Sure. So it actually, I mean, it, it is a scientific process. So you've been certified organic since 2011. You've been certified uh, biodynamic since 2018. And you're really noticing that the changes in the wine are are, are even more surprising, uh, greater than you were even expecting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I am genuinely surprised if you drew a graph of sort of the improvement, it's been nice and steady um, over a decade or two. But I think there's been an uptick uh, with uh, particularly with the uh, adding biodynamics to the organic status, um, and it, it, it's more than I expected. Um, and I think uh, the, the the vines look brighter and healthier and happier, and the fruit looks the same. So I mean, after after four decades here, I'm sort of quite happy and willing to accept that um, uh, I can even be surprised with 
how much we can improve on what we've done before because I think a lot of people would think that after four decades you've probably done most of it. Um, but the vineyard is where it's all happening at the moment and it, and it's a beautiful place to go to. Like I love going to the vineyard. Yes. Um, it's just a little bit of history but 40-odd years ago when I came here, the growers at the time, the best ones used to refer to their vineyards as gardens and it always stuck with me that following that a lot of mechanisation came on and a lot of pressure to do cheaper things and Roundup arrived in vineyards and all of that. And it's just wonderful to get that all out of the way and back to this focus on treating it like uh, like your garden. Yeah, for sure. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Um, is it seems like everything that you've just been saying is, it's like you're always on the hunt on improving your wine and making it the best possible, especially making the best Riesling you possibly can. And that's obviously through make, you know, the organic and the biodynamic. But something else that you've been very heavily involved in was uh, actually um, doing the switch from cork to screw cap. Um, yep. You've definitely been one of the leaders in that, and you know, getting Australia and New Zealand to uh, to come on board. So, can you tell us a bit about why you think it's so important to make that move to screw cap? Yeah, well, I th and I think Australia was the perfect, uh, or Australia and New Zealand were the perfect ones to do this because we're known internationally um, for innovation. And I think it's really important that we get back, in my view, that we, as an industry, that we get back onto focusing on that that we can do it and this is all about this is not about cost or convenience it's about quality and so we're finding that all the effort that i think i've um referred to this morning about all the effort you know where to plant you know getting it in there getting the chemicals out getting the best expression um of variety in place all of that was challenged by putting a cork in it because uh, uh, they're, they're unpredictable. So they can either allow the wine to develop too quickly or in fact, in in, in the worst cases, they can uh, taint the wine. So, you know, it was something that we didn't have control over. So we showed that um, screw caps can be very slightly permeable and allow the development, albeit a bit slower than a cork, um, that you're not compromising the wine at all. The wines will age beautifully, but absolutely predictably. All we needed to do was convince people that this was a move from the tradition that was the best for 200 years because they didn't have anything else to the new new technology that will allow people to focus on the wine rather than if, they, if they're getting romance out of popping a cork, I really think they need to, you know, perhaps rethink their lives. You know, it's the wine that's <laughs> the exciting part in my view. <laughs> Valentine's Day is all over for these people. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. It's um, It does seem a, a slightly, well, I'm not quite sure whether the term is sad, but I'll, I will use that one, that there are, are a lot of countries, you know, France um, included, that didn't want to go to the screw cap because of this, whether it is the romantic notion of the cork or whether they purely believe that it, it can, you know, allow the bottles to age better with cork, um, yeah. whatever it is behind it, 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 it seems like, a, I guess, a bit, a bit of a lack of uh, innovation in their minds of all the way to move forward because everything you've just said you know it's it's proof you know we've had screw caps since what what year was it that they came uh, 2000 in? yeah 2000, 2000. so right. we've had more than two we've got riesling for more than two decades now yeah. um yeah. Uh, in our cellar yeah. yeah so i mean you're right so if you're what on your 42nd uh, uh vintage so you're right. So half of the time that you've been making it actually have been screw caps. And yes, so it's yep. testament to. So w when it comes to your reasons, how long would you suggest to to put them down? 
So for Riesling, uh, we, we suggest either um, drink them, uh, we think they look amazing straight away. So we, we found that's the other thing too, that the better the, better the vineyards are, the, um, and I think if you're in tune with uh, getting that best expression, the wines can look beautifully balanced on release. So we focus on that. But then if you're going to keep it, I think probably at least six years to get um, just a little bit of that um, uh, a rounding of, uh, of bottle maturity. I think you need six years minimum, up to about 20 to 25 years. We're finding that that is, well, we don't know the limit now because we can only go back 22, but um, those wines, the 2000 Polish Hill is drinking beautifully now. It's getting close to perhaps its peak. Uh, that was a warm year, whereas a cooler year like 02, would, you'd probably be uh, uh, quite happy to keep it a little bit longer. So 20 years is a guide, six to 20 would be good. Sure. Yeah. So I think I, I do hear uh, quite a few people mention that, you know, you buy, you buy a case and you put them all down, but you have one straight yeah. away, you pull one out in five years, one maybe in eight and then leave one to 20. So you tend yes. to, um, yes. um, yeah, I think, that, that's, that's, I think that's it. I think I, I often recommend when I particularly my more serious customers, uh, they, when they say when, when to drink this, I would often say, look, maybe six o'clock try just open one and then yep. Keep, yep. Uh, keep a few for six years. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's a nice way to do it. So, Jeffrey, based on the fact that it is International Riesling Day today, will you be enjoying a Riesling later on? Absolutely. Uh, Excellent. I, I could have said that with, uh, with, even if it wasn't Riesling Day, uh, but um, International Riesling Day, this is what we'll be doing. Uh, once we get through the work of crushing uh, a few loads of Riesling uh, we'll be celebrating uh, probably with um, with a couple of Rieslings actually and have a little sort of tasting, a little mini tasting. And may I ask what Rieslings they are or will be? I think uh, it'll be some competitors from uh, Australia We uh, and then um, we, we have a, a strong association with some German and French producers so I'm thinking it'll probably be um, a German producer I think uh, either Rheingau or Naha, which um, we've got some, Donhoff, for example, seems like a possibility, but I haven't decided. So it'll be in there. So we'll do an Australian-European um, uh, move through that to celebrate the day. Yeah, very nice. Do you actually celebrate it every year or is it just something that, you know, just a, I, I, I maybe reminded you of it? We, we've we missed it on a couple of years because uh, if we're busy. <laughs> So we won't miss it this year. <laughs> so something I do actually would, would love to hear from you um, whilst we still have time, what can we expect to see out of the 2022 Grosset Polish Hill Riesling? I think um, I would think that the we're seeing a brighter palette. Um, it might be subtle from year to year and allowing for the seasonal differences, um, but what we're getting is quite a great intensity this year. So I think even more intensity than last year, but also bright and fresh. You know, the, the fruit seems to be crisp and fresh, and yet it has this amazing um, intensity uh, and lingering flavour. Now that's on the, on the fruit and on the juice that we've made so far. We haven't started any ferments yet. So I'm thinking we'll just get out intensity with that backbone that people look for for, for ageing, but still lovely wine to drink on release, but very, um, I think, very expressive. And that's really what we've been looking for for many years, I think, is to just get 
uh, just get a little bit more expression um, and a little bit more instant satisfaction from the first smell and the first sip. I think that's what we're going to get this year. Right. Okay. Well, I'm very excited to hear that it's going to be such a great year. I mean, a lot of people, um, uh, a lot of winemakers were saying that the 2021 vintage was excellent. That was actually one of their best vintages in in well over a decade. And you were kind of hearing that like Australia-wide. So how, yeah. what did you think about last year? Uh, well, well, the, the wonderful thing for us is that we've actually got uh, more like an average crop this year, as well as the uh, quality of fruit. I think in terms of just look of the fruit, it would be uh, each vineyard that's coming so far, it looks as good or better than last year. Um, sure. And the fruit is better filled out and more even. Now, that could be just our vineyards, but it means that uh, we've got, you know, absolutely balanced vines, uh, properly filled out fruit, lovely green look about it, and quite intense and fresh, crisp flavour. So, uh, I don't know, I mean, it would be, it's got to be at least uh, on par with 21. And I'm feeling, I know that winemakers tend to, you know, risk talking up, seen as talking up the latest vintage, but I think, I think it should offer as much or more potential than 21, which I agree was a really good year. I mean, we're just relieved because, as I said, for those who've been through drought conditions like we have here, of just not having the, we've made some lovely wines, but we just haven't been able to supply the market. And, um, you know, we've kept, everyone's kept busy and I kept paying everybody and they're happy. But <laughs> really, um, it would be nice to actually have some wine to sell. And with this looking so good, it's just a perfect combination. Actually, I guess on that uh, wine to sell, how how much are you producing? Like, how much of the Polish hill do you produce? Yeah, we, well, we've said. I noticed we said on the website eleven thousand cases in total, which about two and a half thousand up to three thousand. Say, I would say three thousand cases of that would be Polish hill. But we haven't made eleven thousand cases for, uh, for for years. It's more like about seven thousand. So you can imagine the impact. That that's had so everything has been down proportionately um uh, and, but this year we should be up to close to ten thousand again which is a much more i mean it's still tiny volume in fact and that's a very good point to make that um most people who've heard of grosset uh, believe that we're actually quite a bit larger than that i know i know you had brian crozer on some uh, time not that long ago and i remember when i met him he, uh, years ago, he was really surprised at how small we were. Um, oh. So I think I think that that's um, that we have a very high profile given that we've got less than ten thousand cases are made. Yeah, for sure. I, I also did notice that um, on your site you talk about how you've got three different Riesling clones on your on particularly on your Polish Hill site, and yes. you actually only get two bottles of wine per vine. Yes. Yeah, so we found that um, uh, certainly on uh, Polish Hill, it would run around uh, around that um, every year, and it was actually lower last year and the year before. So uh, it should, when I say the average, the new average or the new normal, I think we all understand now and have to accept that um, an average or normal year doesn't come along as often as it used to. Uh, and so what that gets back to my comment about water in the past where people have said that dry land vineyards are, are maybe the best and supplementary irrigation um, some people thought maybe it was just to boost your crops for commercial reasons 
Now, um, a water supplementary irrigation in the Clare Valley, in my view, is essential for quality, not to, to get consistent quality each year, not to um, not not for other commercial reasons. Uh, and that's just purely the change in the season um, because we are seeing uh, seasonal changes which we have to deal with. Um, and I believe that we can deal with them very well through what we've done, but that's the one change that's occurred. You do need to be able to put a bucket of water effectively on it um, every week or whatever, uh, otherwise things can get too dry. Yeah, no, of course, of course. And I guess, you know, it really depends on the varietal of what, and how much water is actually required and at different times. So Rieslings being as, as your flagship varietal and you've got all that covered, but then you've chosen a few others. So what I'd love to, I'd love to understand, why did you choose Fiano and a Nero de Vola? Like Shiraz makes quite a bit of sense. I mean, beautiful Shiraz can be found in the Clare Valley. I'm actually a massive yeah. fan. But why those other two varietals that aren't, you know, quite as, uh, as quite as well known? Yes, well, I guess it, it, um, and it, the reason maybe why you ask now is that it does follow from that conversation we just had. So um, I think uh, about 10 years ago, I looked at what other varieties might suit um, a change in climate that we know is occurring. And so what we were looking at is varieties that do really well in warmer climates. So obviously, if anyone who's been to Sicily or at least knows about uh, their climate there is pretty bloody hot, and um, yes. and so um, I noticed that Nero Davila did quite well uh, with Shiraz in Sicily, but it's a very uh, expressive coming from a warm climate. So, um, but it had a little bit more acid backbone than the Shiraz. So, so that variety and Fiano were the two that I chose because they're they're sort of tough, they're resilient. And they've got, and Fiano's more textural than Riesling, um, but not like Chardonnay. So we don't use oak and we're just adding a little bit of, still got a bit of uh, aroma, but with texture. And Nero has quite a, um, is fresher and uh, got quite a natural acid backbone to it. So it stays very fresh and bright, not quite the complexity of Shiraz. And so those two, I thought we should try them out and just see what we can do with them in, in this region um, and in some ways prepare ourselves for where we might be heading in the future. Well, it's, it's actually very exciting because I don't know, I, I actually didn't know that you really made it much outside of Rieslings themselves. And, you know, once you've had the Polish Hill, you don't particularly need anything else, do you? But um, it's, it is interesting to see why you would choose other specific ones. And as you say, really, you wanted something that's hardworthy, something that's not going yeah. to require, you know, too, too much just to, uh, too much tending to. And yes. I guess the Clare yeah. Valley itself and the fact that you've got the four different vineyards that even yeah. though they're, they're at Clare, they're all, you know, I think apart from two of them, they seem to be quite spread out and different terroirs. Yeah. Um, would you would you consider growing anything but Riesling on some of your others? Uh, I think I think we, um, I mean, I love Cabernet. So when I came here, I had this belief that I wanted to make, grow and make Riesling and Cabernet. They were my first loves, I suppose. Uh, and uh, so we're trying a few things with Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc. Um, all our vineyards are actually in higher altitudes, so they're all in cooler areas. Um, but the difference is, uh, what, like, for example, Springvale soft rocks on, on limestone and, uh, and Polish Hill is on hard rock, that's slate. So they are the dramatic differences. But uh, Cabernet, for example, will respond well to both. 
Um, and we are looking at um, some Cabernet on hard rock, for example, to just see um, what impact that has. Um, but to me, to me, Cabernet expresses itself differently like Riesling does, perhaps less obvious because you're going through a, a different um, a process in winemaking, but it's still there. So, yeah, we're, we're doing all of that. So in spite of being here for four decades, we're concentrating on um, Gaia, which is our Cabernet blend, um, as well as doing those Italian varieties. Um, but Riesling is still 70% of what we do. Uh, and our and our main focus, but yeah, we are very serious about the others, particularly about Gaia. Um, we think that that's a, a beautiful, elegant Cabernet, and that's the style that I love. Um, uh, so you know, so that's what. Uh, basically, I guess it comes down to really important. I'm making wine that I want to drink. Yeah, I mean, it, it just seems basic, but um, I'm but not that's driven the way it by. Be. Sorry. That, yeah, that's because the way it should be for sure. I'm not. I'm not driven by uh, Trin's um, fashions. Um, I really because it takes so long. By the time if you followed fashion, by the time you got it plotted and up and sorted out, probably would have moved on. So you need to look. <laughs> you need to look a longer term, and um, and that's what I'm doing. For sure. Look, Jeffrey, all of this has been absolutely sensational. I have been so much looking forward to this interview and hearing about Riesling. Thank God it was International Riesling Day. Um, but to hear about all this, these other bits and pieces, I can't wait to try your Fiano and and your Nero and, and of course, your Shiraz. So um, I think I might have to go and grab myself a bottle. Um, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, look, I, I hope you enjoy your Riesling tasting this evening. That's a yeah. tasting I would love to be a part of because I can only imagine they'll be incredible. So uh, you enjoy, um, have a great rest of day and um, we'll definitely get you back on the show in a few months time if you're up for that. That's lovely. I'd love to. Uh, Wonderful. Most enjoyable. Thanks a lot, Jill. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Have a great day. You too. That was the very fabulous Jeffrey Grosset who makes the very famous Polish Hill wine.